Watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Beheim! Wow, is that silence in a little bit? Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Don't up. Fit. Pop pass up in the middle. Got Tucker's got it. Ruby run. 15, 10. Hit, oh. hit in. Gregory's touchdown. The Bills make me want to Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. In go to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing in the base. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On The Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. On the On ESPN Radio, Syracuse, 97.7, 100.1 FM, 1214.40 AM, 96.5 out in Utica, Rome. In the audio vault at ESPNSyracuse.com, and you can watch on QSportsTalk.com. On the block is on the air. It's not Brent Axe yet. He's got dad duties until then. Jordan Capozzi here with you. On the block, on demand. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. However that describes you, great to have you on the block. ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com, presented by Best Buy Auto City. What a crazy sports weekend. Jordan and I were just talking about it during the break there. We didn't even mention the ending of the Giants-Commanders game. There was another touchdown in the Raiders-Patriots game that shouldn't have been called. I mean, NFL refs, see, this is it. They screw stuff up every weekend at such a high level, but the games are so incredible. The storylines are so unbelievable that it all kind of doesn't get swept under the rug. It lives on social media and certainly in some gambling circles, but uh, it all gets topped by some of the amazing games that we saw this weekend. So that's certainly on the table. We'll get to some hoops as well as non-conference play behind the orange. Pittsburgh tomorrow in the Dome. We do have tickets to that game to give away. By the way, if you want to go see some Tuesday night ACC basketball at the JMA Wireless Dome tomorrow, 9 o'clock tip time, our pregame coverage at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN Syracuse. And football on the table from a Syracuse standpoint as well. So Rocky Long is in. I think that's a terrific move. It's obviously a short-term move. Hopefully it's to... Now, what we get two, three years down the road here, that's a question mark. Right When you have a coach that hasn't been given a contract extension and the belief is, because this has not been made public because Syracuse refuses to make these things public, they can say they're a private school all they want. They can choose to make this public if they choose. They just choose not to. The belief is that Dino's contract goes through 2024. Right? So to get someone to commit to you long-term in that sense from the guys that are beyond the staff you have already, Jason Beck was a natural 
elevation. His first gig, 42 years old, as an offensive coordinator, he was ready. Rocky Long, you've got somebody, you know, on speed dial. See, kids, speed dial is an old term about what we use for landlines back in the day. Every phone number is speed dial now, but that's a whole different topic for a different day. You keep improving, you keep the job. That's pretty much the mandate from John Wildack, yet we haven't seen a contract extension as of yet. I don't know, maybe they win a bowl game, maybe they go into next year. Like These things can come at any time. So that worked out. The transfer portal, for the most part, has worked out. You've lost nine players. You've brought in four, including players from Nebraska, Notre Dame, and what's the one I'm missing there? Three major schools where you get players with uh, three, four years of eligibility remaining at this point. That's big. We'll talk to Mike McAllister about recruiting. Recruiting is an inexact science, but I feel like Syracuse has got to get in some wins on the recruiting front. Now, Lenora Sellers is a big-time win in terms of the ranking, in terms of the kind of quarterback he is, the numbers, how he fits the system. The quarterback is actually a position Syracuse is not thin at. I mean, you have Garrett Schrader coming back. You have Carlos Del Rio Wilson for a couple more years. Justin Lampson showed a lot of promise in the spring game and I think is somebody that can compete for the job at some point. But at the same time, you can never have enough quarterbacks. If you're bringing in a talented guy who wants to be here, and by all indications, Sellers is in. He has not been swayed to go to South Carolina, who's coming at him hard. He's a South Carolina kid. So that's a big score. And we'll see what players in two or three years come out of this recruiting class that we look back at and say, oh, well, that guy wasn't highly rated, or he was a diamond in the rough. But see, that's what Dino is kind of tasked with doing. They're all three stars. You are the lowest-rated team in the ACC. I think it's 85th in the country overall. Ratings aren't everything. Rankings aren't everything. But that's what I'd say, too, if I had the lowest-rated class in the ACC. Syracuse has got to break through there. Maybe some of these players we're talking about here will break through. Think about what we're talking about this year. Okay? Sean Tucker, this past weekend, declares for the NFL draft. Just to give you a little context, okay? I saw just one rating today because there's going to be ratings all over the place. Some are going to have him as the eighth-rated running back. Some are going to have him as the fifth-rated running back. So, I mean, there's a hundred of these draft services now. But I like pro football focus. And they rated Tucker, at least at this point, as the sixth uh, running back, pardon me, in the upcoming draft, Okay. Last year, just to give you a little perspective, and every draft is different, but the sixth-rated running back, the sixth running back taken went 98th overall in the third round. Now, running backs typically do not go in the first round anymore. B. John Robinson from Texas declared he's going to go in the first round. He's the best running back on the board. Some are saying he's the best running back prospect since Saquon Barkley. So he'll go first round, but one, maybe two, go in the first round, and then the run starts kind of second round, third round, fourth round. You try and find some value there at that position. James Cook, I believe, was the second or third running back taken by the Bills last year in the second round. He's starting to pay dividends, and you've seen it all over the league before he got hurt, Bryce Hall at the Jets. So the the running back position, the value is starting to come back there. Sean Tucker is going into the NFL at a time when the NFL 
is valuing running backs again. And if you want to make a comparison, I know this has been said, but it bears repeating. He is Austin Eckler. Okay, watch Austin Eckler for the Chargers and then put that side by side with Sean Tucker and tell me you don't see the same player. Tell me you don't see that's the path for Sean Tucker right there. That's the kind of player he can be. And that's the kind of player I think teams are going to look at and say, okay, that's our chance to bring in an Austin Eckler. So Sean Tucker made the right move by going to the draft. He is going to go to the pinstripe bowl and be on the sideline, and I think that's awesome. Some people might question that, but I like how people have evolved on this too. There are always going to be some dopes that are be like, hey, he's opting out of the bowl game, and you know, just the old school thinking of, Whatever, he's quitting on his team or some of the ridiculous takes that are out there. Most of you are intelligent enough to know that Sean Tucker has nothing to gain by playing in the pinstripe bowl and everything to lose. Most of you are intelligent enough to know that his teammates fully back him. Look at the reaction from his teammates when he put his name into the draft, right? Sean Tucker has put in plenty of time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears with those guys winning games that matter. Bowl games don't matter. It's a nice reward. It's a great status thing. You certainly don't want to be a team that doesn't make a bowl game as we saw last year. But I think, thankfully, the hot takes on this have really slowed down in the past few years. Because you have to, you want to call a kid selfish? Go right ahead. They need to be selfish. Tucker is now at a point where he has built his resume to the point where he will be drafted and he has to dedicate everything to that. You only get one run at this in the dedicated workouts. Now he works with, you know, they all sign with trainers and people that, so you got to get ready for the combine, right? And you got to get ready for all those individual workouts. They're already in amazing shape. These NFL draft trainers put you in the best shape of your life. And you have to dedicate yourself to that. If you get hurt, you can't do it. Look at Garrett Williams. Now, Garrett Williams got hurt in the regular season. Why would you play in a bowl game and risk that? I'm glad most people have come around on that. There's always going to be some old school people. that say, Ash, football, you can get hurt anytime. Get out there. Most people know that situation has changed. And let me tell you how many NFL teams are going to care that Sean Tucker opts out of a bowl game. How about close your eyes and what do you see? Nothing. None. Nobody. Not one team is going to hold that against him. If anything, they're probably encouraging (laughs) Sean Tucker not to play in the bowl game or any high-level prospects at certain positions. Like, no, we're good. We've seen your film. We've been to the workouts. We don't need you to be in a bowl game. Okay? It's the opposite. So for those of you that want to say that Sean Tucker's this and Sean Tucker's that, and I know you're in the minority, but sometimes the minority can speak a little louder than others, you're dead wrong. You're dead wrong on this one. So there you have it. Stinks we won't see him for one more game, but I think Sean Tucker's done enough for Syracuse football. And Emily Liker actually put this out on Syracuse.com today, so I would check that out. The depth chart. Projected for the pinstripe bowl, which is, uh, what are we talking about? Ten short days away here, right? Garrett Schrader's still there. LaQuinn Allen's still there. Aronde Gatson. Lakel Jones coming back, right? Jeremiah Wilson 
has to hold down the fort at cornerback because Deuce Chestnut went into the portal, right? But Marlo Wax is still there. Matthew Bergeron, who's an NFL prospect himself. See, there's the opposite of that. Matthew Bergeron is going to the Senior Bowl, and I have seen projected by several NFL draft experts, the real experts, not some guy with a blog, like the guys that do this for a living, as a top five left tackle prospect. He, unless I we hear otherwise in the next 10 days, he's on track to play in the bowl game, right? Because it's his choice. If Matthew Bergeron wants to risk everything, go out there and, and do this and, you know, look at, speaking of Bergeron, you know what's pinned at the top of his Twitter page right now? When Syracuse got bowl eligible and how much that meant to him and Mikel and Garrett and Andre Schmidt and the players that came back for this purpose. So everybody's different. It means a lot to them. Not that it doesn't mean anything to Sean Tucker, but he's made the choice to say, you know what, I'm in a position where, you know, I'm already looking at getting picked in the third or fourth round and I'm one of the best prospects out there. Why would I hurt my chances? Bergeron could be a first-round pick, and he's going to go out there and play because it's his choice and good for both of them doing what's best for them and what they feel is best for them. A lot of football stuff, right? We will get into the basketball coming up in that win over Cornell, and uh, ready or not, here we come. Full-time ACC play starting tomorrow night at the Dome, Syracuse and Pittsburgh. If you want to go to that game, Thanks to your friends here at ESPN Syracuse, I would not stray far. Just uh, some free advice from Uncle Brent. To the phones we go before we break, though, at 437-7644. A crazy NFL weekend. Uh, how did that make uh, Scooter's bets go is what's on my mind. Scoot, uh, how did this every game decided by 11 points yeah. or less weekend affect uh, some of the uh, Sophie's what? college picks that we made? Yeah, it, it, it was interesting. Now, because you know, I always talk about patience. And if you wanted to lay out the Minnesota halftime when they're down 33 to 1, if you wanted to do the money line, it was 30 to 1 that Minnesota's going to win the game outright. But you could get them at 26 plus 26 and a half points, which to me was, you, you hope that Minnesota's going to show up in the second half to at least uh, make them competitive. So that, that, that was interesting. The, uh, the Jets. Uh, over under with with Detroit dropped to twenty nine and a half. Wow! Yeah, and wow. that's when. Yeah, so there's there's value in waiting, but you're right with eleven points. The teasers must have been nuts. It'd be interesting to see if you tease, add and subtract because everything was around the number. Add and subtract, uh, especially the over unders. You probably couldn't lose. Any way you want. Well, in this time a, of year, Scooter, I mean, yeah. look at the Buffalo game, for example. I said that number was way too high. I picked Miami to cover, and I won on that one even before the game kicked off. But everybody's sitting around for three quarters saying, where's the snow, where's the snow, where's the snow? <laughs> yeah. The snow comes. So if you're, like you said, patience is a virgin. If you're waiting yeah. and waiting and waiting and you get a number you just have to hop on because the weather does affect the game, then yeah. this is the time of year to do that. and. Look, even going into, I'll just use the Bills as, a, as an example again, it is going to be like the planet Hoth on in Chicago for this game on Saturday. So even going in, you're not going to take a lot of numbers. But when you actually see the conditions on the field and the kind of numbers you're going to get there, I mean, there's some live betting to keep an eye on in that situation too. Yeah, it is, and especially double digits. You hope the opposition, like Houston scores on KC. I think that was, what, 14 to going in? 
Well, you could have got that at six, and of course you would have pushed uh, when they were losing. And you know that's why I like about the double digits. It's always going to be there. Why don't you wait to see how the game evolves? First of all, you might be saving yourself some money. Second of all, if they get behind, that line's going to come down drastically. So if you like them at fourteen, you're going to love them at six. Right. Oh, by the way, right. uh, you know Wiseman. Wiseman's got some money out there, right? To try to track I've heard. Uh, I've heard. players. There's a guy on Boise State, a true freshman. I don't know if he happened to stay up, uh, Uncle Brett, for the uh, North Texas State, uh, Boise State, but this guy's a true <laughs> freshman. He's actually out of France, played one year in Texas. No one ever heard of him. That's why he went to Boise. This guy is built like Joe Morris. Size, speed. I kept looking at him, and they even, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's about 5'9", about 2'10". He's, he's super uh, elusive, and he's fast, and he runs over people, so... There'd be a guy there that probably will come on the cheap side. You won't have to spend a million for him. But, man, if, we, if we're going to need some running backs next year, uh, he was amazing. He had 170 yards and played half the game, basically. You know, that's actually a fair question to ask Adam because what we know about that scooter, and thanks for the call as always, my friend, is that offer is out there for a five-star recruit. One for football, one for basketball. Million-dollar offer. Don't you think that can be applied and should be applied to the transfer portal? If anything, you know, Adam's a guy who's made a few wise investments in his day. You know more about the player out of the portal as opposed to recruiting. Now, I just said a few minutes ago, and I'll stick by this, Syracuse has got to make a big splash in recruiting. And the interesting thing about that is, now if you're talking about high-level, five-star type of players at the positions that matter, we are at the point. Think about this. Think how crazy... This is what I'm about to say, but it is true. And it's not just my opinion, by the way. A million dollars might not be enough for some of these guys. That's not just my opinion, by the way. You know, you know who else said that to me? John Wildhack. When I asked him about that in that interview I did with John a couple weeks ago, which you can still see, it's up on YouTube, it's on Syracuse.com, easy enough to find. I brought that up. I said, well, I forget the exact context of the question, but I brought up the million-dollar offer and just kind of how competitive is Syracuse in this space, in name, image, and likeness, and John was candid, and he said, that's not enough for what we're talking about here. Five-star, big-time, like just this week, the number one overall recruit, now not this year, this is the class of 2024, the quarterback, I forget his name offhand, he committed to Ohio State. Decommitted, he's back out there. You think a million is going to land him at a place like Syracuse? Try again. This is Ryan Day, the head coach at Ohio State. Remember he put that number out there last summer that it would basically cost, I think it was like 11 or $12 million a year in those kind of investments to keep Ohio State at that level. Ohio State. Now here's Syracuse trying to pretend it's in that game. They're getting talent. They're finding players. They're making it work for them. But on that big boy level, a million dollars, not enough for a 17-year-old kid coming into college. Like We are in bizarro world, but uh, that is where we are at. Let's talk some hoops on the other side. You're on the block, ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Broadcasting live from the Duntire Studios in Armory Square, this is ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. 
This is On the Block with Brent Axe. I thought Cornell was better than us today. Um, I thought they just missed shots. That's all. The only reason we won the game is they missed shots. They had, we did a little better job of guarding them, not much. Uh, they just missed a lot of shots and let us back in the game. We can't determine when we need to go and when we need to make a play. I appreciate the honest assessment there from Jim Beheim because you didn't want to be that guy. But that's what I saw, too. I saw Cornell just... Now, it's not that Syracuse's defense doesn't deserve some credit here. They did make some adjustments and make some of those shots harder. But, man, Cornell just could not hit water if they fell out of a boat in the second half of that game. It was incredible to see. They were on track before that, hitting threes, doing their thing, going at the pace they needed to, which frustrated Judah Mintz, and I think that's notable because I think there's not every ACC team plays at the fifth highest pace in the country, but I think a lot of ACC teams are going to take note of that. I think Pittsburgh is certainly going to take note of that. All right, well, if we can speed up the freshman point guard, it, it rattles his cage. Now, I think Judah Mintz will learn from that and be better from that because this kid just seems to absorb everything and get better game by game. Judah Mintz, who was named the ACC Rookie of the Week for the second straight week, by the way. I think a lot of that comes from the Monmouth game, frankly, but there's something there. Okay, Pittsburgh tomorrow. Take a little bit of a break. New Year's Eve, Boston College, then you get Louisville. Those are three what I would consider manageable, winnable games where Syracuse could go on a six, seven, eight game winning streak, have turned things around, eight and four. And here's what I know. Ever since we uh, burned the My Buddy doll, Syracuse has not lost. Just saying. Right? Obviously, that's going to come to an end at some point here. But Cornell did miss a lot of shots that didn't have anything to do with Syracuse. Now, Jim talked a little basketball there uh here's jim on on joe gerard just to play another clip. i thought joe kept us in there in the first half and then you know once we started getting the right shots uh we were better and once we started defending and jesse did a good job when they got it in the middle to play off and when they got it down the baseline come back and and uh block it or make it a difficult shot. But in reality, they missed five or six wide open threes that would have kept the game really close. So we were lucky there. You're not going to get lucky all the time, but we were lucky there. And one more here with Pittsburgh coming in. I watched Pittsburgh a lot lately. They're really playing good basketball. They're a completely different team than last year and the beginning of the year. They're good. So we'll have a really tough game on Tuesday. Now that's the basketball stuff. If you watch the press conference on Saturday, you saw that most of it was dedicated to Louis Orr. Most of it, and Jim didn't take any questions, understandably so. Jim admitting it was hard for him to coach on Saturday. He was very emotional about Louis Orr, told some great stories about Louis Orr as well. Let's just listen into a little bit of it. Uh, you know, I'm going to just stop here, and I'm going to tell you that uh, about two weeks after I got this job, I went to Cincinnati, Ohio, because a friend of mine said a friend of his had a player out there. I said, well, today's world, I probably wouldn't have done anything. I probably would have said, yeah, okay. I got on a plane, went to Cincinnati. I watched this kid 
in the gym playing against some college kids. I, when I walked in, the, the kid, the guy, the guy told me he was six eight, which was true, he was, and he weighed 160 pounds, maybe. And he got knocked down about six times in five minutes while I'm watching him. But the interesting thing, he got up every time and made a basket or got a rebound every time. And uh, <clears throat> that kid was Lewis Orr. You can hear it there. And you can see it if you watch the press conference, how emotional Jim was in, in lo- losing his friend and his former coach and somebody that meant to him as much as anybody in Lewis Orr, which I didn't know until I heard this uh, today, by the way, on a podcast that I, I never knew this. Louis didn't like being called Louis. He actually preferred to be called Louis Orr. So just one of those things you learned about somebody. It was very humble, and anytime he came across him, we talked about this a bit on Friday, certainly, but the stories you hear about Louis Orr, I mean, the basketball stuff is interesting, as Jim just noted there, but some of much of it was beyond the game, with the person that you encountered. And I think you saw a side of Bayheim Saturday that you don't always see. He's not always one to kind of open up like that. He was certainly emotional when Pearl passed away. And you can only imagine what Jim is thinking and what he's going through. And one thing you can never doubt about Jim Beheim and say, all you want about Jim Beheim, and we've said plenty, the fierce loyalty that he has to his former players is unmatched. Now, current players, they're going to get it at press conferences and How about Chris Bell and the way he responded? Now, that's got to continue. It took him a while to really take it that personally. He's got a rebound, and his game's got to evolve as Syracuse goes through ACC play here. But, you know, current players know it. It, it's, It's almost a badge of honor when former players tell these stories. We've heard it so much on these airwaves. You hear it when uh, Chris Joseph and Eric Devendorf do do their show, right? It is a badge of honor. Everybody's got a a story of when Beheim got on him, right? But that man will do anything for his former players. Anything. And when you hear about players that just kind of reached a certain level, Pearl being one of them, and Jim talked about that, of course, at the uh, Georgetown game when they officially went to the Ring of Honor. And then for Lewis Orr to pass away shortly after that, I mean, those could be one, two in his book all time. And, I mean, think about what he's going through there. It's one thing for us as fans to experience it and have watched them and and maybe got to know either one of those two a little bit. It, It does not come anywhere near the view of the lens that Jim Beheim's looking at it with. And I, he showed you something there, right? Jim is, you know, press conferences, radio interviews, you know, you may even see him at Wegmans, you know, Jim is just kind of, you know, Jim's Jim, you know, he just doesn't really show you that side of him, but shows you how much he cares about his players. I was really struck by that. I knew he, he would be emotional. It was only a day afterwards and, you know, I'd kind of heard and, some other interviews that Jim had done on Friday, how emotional he was about Lewis, which you would expect. But he doesn't always show that, and I think people appreciate that. He's, he's only human, and that's his friend, and that's true emotion right there. But, you know, we've I think, I think guys are kind of like that. You know, we try to be a little tougher than the moment sometimes and, and not show that side. But 
I know a lot of people looked at that and were not only surprised, but I think appreciated like that, that human moment that they got. And I wish it wasn't under these circumstances, obviously, because we lost Lewis way too early and yet another case of man, cancer sucks and we got to beat that thing. But that was the most telling thing from Saturday for me. I mean, the win over Cornell and five in a row and some of those things Jim said basketball-wise, all notable. ACC play starts tomorrow, certainly notable. But that, to me, and that side he showed that he does rarely shows publicly, that, to me, is what stood out more than anything. To the phones we go. Before we take a break, speaking of Syracuse and Pittsburgh at the Dome tomorrow, if one would, in theory, want to attend that game, Thanks to your friends here at ESPN Syracuse and QSportsTalk.com. I would not stray far. That's just my uh, friendly advice. Stephen or Syracuse been hanging in there as we jump back to a little football talk here and uh, players in the portal versus recruiting and that fascinating world we're in. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm, I'm fine. Just one thing on what you were talking about. Uh, uh, Louie and Bowie sounds better than Lewis and Bowie. Correct. Correct. Uh, yeah. Roosevelt would have had to change his name to Bowie's for that to work. Anyway, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. Exactly. Anyway, uh, you're talking about uh, players that we've gotten to the transfer portal and how the current high school recruiting class is graded. All our, all the guys we recruit out of high school are, are uh, three-star guys. And uh, several of the guys that we brought in, including uh, previously Garrett Schrader, have been four-star guys. It seems like the portal's a better place to get four-star guys than three-star guys. But I, uh, this is something I broached to you uh, in, in past seasons. I've always felt that uh, the ratings are in part based upon where the kid is, uh, is goes or, or what uh, the, the schools that are primarily recruiting him. And I think that the same player could uh, opt for Syracuse and be a three-star guy, uh, but if he went to Penn State, he'd be a four-star guy. So I'm wondering if the four-star guys we're getting to the portal are necessarily any better than the three-star guys that we're directly recruiting. That is a heck of a question, and that's what I like to hear about what they're doing, at least football-wise, right? You see a situation where you know a guy goes to Alabama but didn't play at Alabama, got injured at Alabama, sees more of an opportunity at Syracuse, Nebraska, and Notre Dame. And those are two players, by the way. This is where recruiting comes into the conversation, Steve. Syracuse recruited both of the cornerbacks they got out of the portal. So that connection was made, and then after just a year with both Jadens, one at Nebraska, one at Notre Dame, who weren't playing and just weren't in the situation they thought they were, they're both New Jersey kids that had made the connection recruiting-wise, didn't end up going to Syracuse, but it gives you an in. It's a smoother process. You know these guys. There's literally thousands of names in the portal. So how do you sort through it, sift through it, and get the guys you're talking about? That's how. You made the connection in recruiting. But at least with the portal, you've got more of a sense of who they can be and what they are. And I don't know what the NIL situation is there, but you're not having to pay those guys a million dollars. But the true standout stud stars that are going to elevate your recruiting rankings from where it is right now, bottom of the ACC, like you literally got to pay for that now. Let's see what the Dahmer thinks down in North Carolina on the block ESPN radio. How you doing, Dom? I'm good, Brent. How are you? I'm great. What's cooking? That's good. Um, so 
So, Coach Beheim, I, I I didn't have the luxury of seeing him up front like you guys did. I'm probably a little bit older than you, Brent. I graduated high school in 93. But Syracuse is always on television. So I watch the games, and um, this team is reminding me of some of those teams in, in the early 90s. And, you know, one of the knocks on Jim is that he only he has small rotations of six, seven players. But I remember in a day – where Jim would rotate eight, nine guys in. And he had this this larger circle of trust with his guys. And I know that, that he would build programs differently then than, than they do now. But Jim has said that, you know, this is his best recruiting class that he's ever had. And I'm starting to see um, Jim mix the drink a little bit against different teams, different lineups, different rotations. And him say, okay, th- this – this defense here or this offense here, moving chess pieces around. I'm really impressed with his coaching job this year, where otherwise we're just, well, I only trust this, these six guys. These guys are playing because well, the rest of my roster just can't play. I think you're hitting on and, something there, Dom. Now, let's be honest here. Partially he's had to do that because some of those other lineups weren't working or Chris Bell's not rebounding. So I have to put Malik Brown in or you know a few other examples I could come up with. But that's the benefit of those things happening. What didn't happen allowed him and forced him in some cases to put those lineups out there. And now what you're saying is true. Okay, I trust these guys a little bit more. I've got six freshmen. I've got to use them in some capacity here. And he knows what he's got in that spot. And I'm glad to hear you say something else because, you know, the sexy thing is to criticize Bayheim and, you know, the succession plans come up and, and all those things. You don't win five in a row. I don't care who you're playing without the coach doing something. So it's it's easy to rip Bayheim and be you know somebody that's just calling for change, and that's fair in some cases. But you got to give the guy a little credit in what this team has managed to navigate here in the past five games, particular to what you said with how you've had to mix up the lineup. So you know you could be the cool guy and always be negative, but it's it's actually you know. A good thing once in a while to recognize what we're seeing and applaud it. And in this case, he deserves a lot of credit. He, he, he to me, has been like the bartender. You go on vacation on a cruise or to some like uh, place where you don't have to pay for drinks. And my wife would always say, you find the bartender that can make the same margarita with the same ingredients different every time. And that's kind of what he's been doing. In, in these last five games. That's spot-on advice there, Dahmer. Uh, good luck to you, my friend, and a busy approach here towards the holidays this week, and uh, thanks for the call as always. We'll break and come back and head on the blind side. Don't go anywhere.